A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, what is it with people appearing on reality or game shows and then getting arrested for horrible crimes like kidnapping or murder? On this podcast, we've covered the arrests of two people on food shows, one person on a game show, and now someone who appeared on the Judge Judy show. Now, when he went on the show, the man claimed to be the victim. But now the FBI says that he is suspected of kidnapping a woman and holding her prisoner and chained in a homemade cell. But first, a husband is accused of chopping up his wife and then putting her body parts into suitcases and even one of those cheesecake factory takeout totes. So what possesses a man to do something like this, especially at the age of 78, when he should be enjoying his retirement? Well, if prosecutors get their way, he will be spending the rest of his golden years behind bars. We're recording this on Wednesday, August 9th of 2023. Our guest today is Rich McHale, a former police investigator, an author, a friend of the show from New Jersey. And Rich has recently been featured on a People Magazine Investigates episode about a case that he has been working on literally for decades. And we're going to talk about that as well a little later. Rich, welcome back. How are you? Hello, Anna. Great to see you. Good to see you. Always good to see my friends from South Jersey. (laughs) We've got some doozies and we've got we've got some some kidnapping abduction cases today, which really dovetail into the case that you've been working on about a little boy that was abducted when he was 11 years old, a case that you covered that I covered as a reporter back in the day. So um, I think we've got a lot to talk about today, Rich. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay, so let's get to our first case, which is a, which is out of Delray Beach, Florida, where a man is accused of murdering his wife. Now, police say that he stuffed her body parts into suitcases, and then he dumped those suitcases in the intercoastal waterway. Police say that it really wasn't too hard to find the guy for a few reasons, including the fact that on one of the suitcases, there was one of those, you know, sticky luggage tags that the airlines put on suitcases that have a barcode Hello, are people not thinking? Rich, I mean, it's it's always these simple little things, beside the fact that the man kept going back to the scene of where he dumped the suitcases, allegedly. Uh, Anna, uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to pretend to be. But I think this man's troubles uh, back up even further than that. But three, forget three, one suitcase, any any, any piece of, uh, of, of material involved in the commission of the crime or, or killing and disposing of a body. Uh, I mean, you're talking about almost total disintegration to try and destroy the evidence. This guy left it by uh, uh, intercoastal waterway. Uh, I don't think it was in the water. It was along the banks. Um, you know, and, and if I could jump off that point for a second, you're talking Delray Beach, a retirement community. Uh, like um, I live near outside of Wildwood. And I know you know the area in the summertime. It's a beach town. There's bars, there's restaurants. It's a great place. It's a fun environment. So in Florida, Delray Beach, the weather's beautiful year round. This guy's 78 years old. He's he's where we all want to get to. And yes. and looking in, you know, in, in my 50s, later in life, that you know, I want to retire to Florida. And that's the end result. I mean, the guy had it all is what I'm trying to get at here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are so many things that are, you know, while there's a lot of similarity with so many other crimes, there are some things that are atypical. And I think the one that stands out to me is the age of the suspect here, because William Lowe is 78 years old, and he's accused of shooting and killing his 80-year-old wife, Adil Barbosa, in the head, then dismembering her body with a chainsaw with a chainsaw, and then putting the body parts in suitcases and that cheesecake factory tote bag, that's the one that kills me. It's like, of all the things, right? Oh my goodness, when we get into the details here, you all, your stomachs are gonna turn. So the couple had been married for 15 years. Now, police haven't really revealed any kind of motive yet, because I am curious about like, what the heck happened here? What could not be 
solved or addressed in any other manner in his brain, but sometimes he can't get into people's brains. And police even have shared, this to me says everything. They said at the news conference that this is one of the bloodiest and most gruesome crime scenes that they've ever seen. So let's discuss this case from the discovery of the suitcases and then see how it reveals in real time because sometimes that's the most interesting thing is like what they find, the clues, and how they get to the person says a lot about the commission of the crime and the evidence against the person. So on July 21st, the Delray Beach police received a phone call that there was a suitcase and they believed had human body parts in it. So officers respond and they say that they can see a human foot sticking out of the suitcase. They open it and then they find human legs along with some landscaping rocks. This will be key here because it's a pattern, a motif, if you will, we're going to see over and over again, those landscaping rocks. And they also find on suitcase number one, this airline barcode sticker, which reads Latham, MIA, probably for Miami, Latham, um, probably being the airline and Barbosa. Ah, the wife's last name. So this is suitcase, this is suitcase number one. Okay, everyone could say, well, maybe the suitcase was donated to Goodwill. No, 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 no. <laughs> that does not turn out to be the case here, right? That bar sticker, that that barcode, that airline barcode, I've seen this in other cases where people stuff body parts into suitcases that they always forget the damn sticker. <laughs> so then... That's suitcase number one, okay? An hour later, Rich, police receive another call. There's another suitcase. This one also with body parts. This is suitcase number two. Police say in here they find a human torso, but no head. And again, these small landscaping rocks. I am thinking that the reason the rocks were in there was to try to get the suitcase to submerge? It sounds like it. It sounds like it. I don't know what other purpose they would serve, but clearly that plan did not work out. So then suitcase number three is finally found. While they're dealing with suitcase number two, police say a witness comes forward and says, hey, I was on my my boat earlier and I saw another suitcase floating. Okay, so they find suitcase number three. This one has the female pelvis. Okay, so we have torso in number two, uh, legs in number one, pelvis in number three, And then, of course, my favorite, the Cheesecake Factory bag, which was also filled with landscaping rocks. Again, motif. A day later, police find a tote bag. So three suitcases and a tote bag now. And this tote bag had handles that were tied with twine. And then the bag itself was wrapped with a man's belt. And what's inside bag number one? But a female head with a single gunshot wound that would be the wife every single one of those suitcases and pieces of evidence would have a tremendous amount of implicating uh evidence it's it from a police perspective i i don't even know what you know he wasn't maybe he tried to overthink it that that sinking it that people wouldn't find it but using your own suitcases the barcode you're better off getting a shovel and digging a hole in your backyard. And, you know, I don't want to encourage how to dispose of bodies, but if you think about that uh, and somebody needs permission to get to your backyard and if they're in your backyard and it's covered up and then you put grass over it, no one is ever going to know unless they dig that up. So there's no, there's no bag laying around. There's no blood laying around. Like this guy was not, I don't want to say he's a complete idiot because you would have to be to do what he did. He he didn't. He tried to hide the evidence, but he really didn't. He really right. did. Yeah, he kind of disposed of the body, but really in the process of it, didn't hide evidence. He announced and, he announced his crime by trying to dispose of the body. You know, with the yeah. with the three suitcases. Yeah. So then uh, they found a purse. So now we're up to like bag number two. So three suitcases, bag number two. And in this purse, which was tied shut with the same twine that was used in the other bag, according to police, this bag had the odor of decomposition. And then it, it contained an ashtray, which officers thought maybe was being used again as a weight like the rocks were. At this point, it's like, it's too much. Whatever all this is, it's his insanity. So this is when things get 
we already have that little luggage tag. So we know eventually they're going to find their way back to William in this case to ask him some questions. But here's here's how he also allegedly did himself in, according to police. On July 23rd, officers conduct an interview with a witness who lives near the location of where suitcase number three was found. And the witness says that the suitcase had been there for days before the police had found it. And this witness said that they remember seeing an older man return to the area five to six times within a three-day span. It was just weird because it's like, why is this guy standing on the edge of the rocks every day, several times a day for three days? It's like, you know, it kind of calls attention to itself, plus there's the suitcase. So when the witness asked the man what he was doing, That's pretty bold, isn't it? Don't you just, people sometimes don't really know what they're getting themselves into when they ask an innocent question, right? Yeah. This is not where I think this witness thought this would end up, (laughs) right? Just like, excuse me, older gentleman, can I assist you is probably what this witness was trying to do. Are you lost? Can I help you? Okay. So says to the man, well, what are you doing? And this is what the witness says to police, quote, waiting for the big boat to come into the harbor. And the witness says, well, there are no big boats in this harbor (laughs) because this is shallow water. Um, So then the man then became quiet and started to get really nervous before leaving to get into a gold colored sedan. Ding, 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 ding. Evidence. This will be key. And while interviewing the witness, officers observed um, that there was a dock ladder near that location of suitcase number three. So they brought in investigators, did a little testing, and they found some blood. So at this point, police are putting the pieces together, but we, you know, they haven't spoken to William yet. On July 30th, officers review security footage in the area and they see an older man matching the description given by the witness accessing that dock and the dock ladder. And according to police, the security footage shows the man using the ladder two times at seven in the morning and then at four in the afternoon. And on the second trip, this is what I love. They see the video and they see on the video, the man who is now shirtless carrying what's my favorite bag here, the cheesecake factory tote. (laughs) (laughs) So it's very interesting. This, this concept of going back to the area where you believe either the crime was committed or the body was disposed of. I I know I'm a retired detective, and I watch a lot of detective shows, and also maybe I have more insight than than people that don't. But it just it just seems idiotic to why put yourself anywhere near the scene. Exactly, you want to remove yourself as far uh, away as you can, unless you're supposed to be there, like a family member. Uh, and a family member is missing and you fail to hurry up there and look for the family member, as was the case in in my case. So here, um, the police finally, you know, they know that the witness has described this gold colored car. They know they're also looking for something like that. This is in the early days of this investigation. So they see it, I guess, um, either on a, a security footage or somewhere, but they run a tag. They, they find the car, um, they run the tags, and it's a 2008 Ford Taurus. Pretty, you know, unusual car. Not going to be a ton of those, although it is Florida and there's a retirement community. But you know what I'm saying? It's not a ton yes. of them. It's not like, a, you know, a Prius that you're going to find so many of them in a community. So the 2008 Ford Taurus was registered to a man named William Lowe. And who is William Lowe married to? The woman with the same last name on that luggage tag. So according to the investigation, uh, William was living in Delray Beach. Officers also uncovered that there was a second vehicle registered to that same address, a 2017 Subaru, which was under the name of Adil Barbosa Fontes, who was married to William. All this is lining up with the luggage tag. So... Officers get a search warrant. They want to get his DNA, William's DNA, along with some other things. So authorities say that they questioned William during the execution of their warrant. And when police asked William, so where's your wife? According to police, he said, she's in Brazil. And she's been there for about 
three weeks. So then the officers say to him, and this this has got to be the precious moments of being a cop. <laughs> so how'd she get to the airport? What airline did she fly? When's the last time you talked to her? And those tiny little questions, he couldn't answer. And he kept saying, I don't know. Wrong answer. Is that Every, everything of- about this guy in this case is how not to commit a crime again, not not to encourage it or how to cover one up. But everything this guy did, uh, you know, have, having some kind of cover story. OK, your wife is out of town. And like you said, how did she get there? And, you know, where is her vehicle and how did her vehicle get there? And, you know, all, everything should be accounted for. And he didn't do any of that. And I'm surprised because I don't I don't know his in a normal state of mind, his level of intelligence, but he's a prior military service combat veteran. Uh, I'm thinking he would have some tactical sense about him that he would think about these things. Uh, well, just even it's really logic. shocking. Yeah, just What's even that? simple logic. I always say that yeah. about crimes, that it's the solving of a crime or the at least, at least narrowing the list of suspects is really generally very logical. It's very logical. Who would want this person dead and why? You know, and then who would have the opportunity? So, you know, he answers all these questions I don't know, which isn't sitting well with the cops. And I think at this point they're, you know, they're a little suspicious here, a lot suspicious. So now they execute the search warrant and they claim that they found blood along with drag marks within the couple's home. And their theory is that Adele was shot in the apartment before she was dismembered and then disposed of. So during the search warrant, this is this is the part that I think is equally kooky. Police say they're they're executing the search warrant, which means the person who lives there cannot be in the house, right? They have to be somewhere else. He reportedly tried to get back into their home <laughs> by trying to climb in through wait a minute, through a rear window. Hello, the place is filled with cops and you think like (laughs) nobody is going to notice the 78 year old man, skinny man trying to crawl through the window. And then when they find him and they're like, Mr. Lowe, what are you doing? He said, oh, I just need to grab my cell phone and the keys to my storage unit. Ding, 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 ding. What's a storage unit? (laughs) It's like a comedy of errors, really. Uh, It's it's so pathetic. It's it's almost funny that he. He he tried to hide it, but yet he really didn't put a whole lot of effort. There's blood spatter throughout the house. I mean, that's the crime scene. You don't even clean up the crime scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd give him I'd give him some points if it had an excessive smell of bleach to the house. Like, okay, he tried, right? But I don't the blood so. <laughs> the blood spatter's still there. Oh my yes. god. So now they know, police are like, if this man is so anxious that he needs to crawl through a window to grab his keys and the storage unit keys, you know that there's something there that he doesn't want you to see. So they find the business card for the storage unit, and they also found a 9mm handgun in the bedroom of the house, and so they go to the storage unit. Now, at this point in the investigation, as this is moving forward, the body has been positively identified at his wife. There's no more question about who was in the suitcase. So on August 2nd, officers execute a search warrant at the storage unit that was owned by William. Officers discovered a chainsaw covered, they say, in what appears to be blood, human flesh, hair, bone, And officers say that they found a small cooler, which appeared to have blood marks on the inside and the outside. I don't even know what he was planning to do, allegedly, with this cooler. My goodness, how much more evidence? It's a joke, really. And um, I mean, it's horrific what he did to his wife. Uh, Taking her life, you stop there and say completely inexcusable. But in the manner in which he did it, and then this silly game of uh, you're trying to cover it up, but not really trying to cover it up. Uh, why is there blood in your house? And uh, what I wanted to say is, is um, where his attorney 
is going to try and attack and why it's important for law enforcement to do their job the right way is to make sure that you had probable cause to get that search warrant to search that house, that the search warrant is valid. Um, because while they're there, they're interviewing him. That interview is, is, a, is a, uh, a result of the, the search warrant. And if the search warrant is not good, the defense attorney is going to try and get his statement thrown out. And if that gets thrown out, then the police had no business searching the locker. So, and you could lose that evidence. So it's it's important for us to do our job. And that's why it's important. All the tell signs that you pointed out, to me as a police officer, they're comical. Like you, you just, they're the things you wouldn't do committing a crime. But like you said, not, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of logics. And not everyone, I guess, thinks logically, and they don't think about the basics. Um, but that doesn't necessarily get a conviction in court. What gets a conviction in court is the DNA off his belt, that tag from the suitcase. I'm sure a lot of that is going to have a ton of evidence, the, yeah. the suitcases individually. But again, all those have to be obtained lawfully by the police because any one of them, if you lose that in court, you're not going to have, you're not going to, like if you, the, where they locate and seize uh, the one with the, with the airport tag on it, if for some reason the police didn't lawfully seize it, um, you know, that was in a public place and it was kind of turned over. So right. that's easy. Exactly. But had they made, made the mistake of not obtaining it lawfully, you lose the identification of the woman on that tag. So it's important for us, even though the guy's given himself away, we need to very carefully take painstaking steps to do our job when we're doing the, the crime scene, applying for the search warrant, all the search warrants, applying for the DNA search warrant to get his DNA. Because if we don't, a defense attorney is is going to attack it. And and if they're if they win, we lose the ability to use that in court. Right. And I think you can see here how they were pretty methodical and weren't racing to do anything, to right. do anything as far as arresting him right. because they got a search warrant for each location. And when they were already in the house and the man is like coming in through the window, you know, trying to hide his cell phone and his other stuff. And they're already seeing what they believe to be blood and drag marks and a lot of blood evidence. They still didn't arrest him. They got the search warrant for the storage unit, and then police say once they found the chainsaw with all the human matter and hair on it, yes, right. then they arrested him there on the spot, and they charged him with first-degree murder and abuse of a dead body. Because at that point, they figured they had enough evidence to charge him. As important as it was to, to uh, highlight him crawling through the window, a defense attorney... It loves to hear those things because they're going to get in front of a judge and a jury and make all kinds of excuses in the world why he needed to do that. He had to go to the bathroom. He didn't want to interrupt the police doing their job. They love they love that. They thrive on that. So that that alone is not going to convict somebody. That's why it's important to to take the steps legally and lawfully and uh, obtain everything pro properly. So William has pleaded not guilty to the charges. He is presumed innocent without question. These are just allegations right now. He is currently being held without bond, and his next court date is scheduled for September. Now, um, he already has a defense attorney, and he did a quick interview outside the courthouse talking to reporters because this is a huge case there in Florida. And he just reminded everyone that William Lowe is a veteran a Marine veteran who previously served in Vietnam was allegedly awarded the Purple Heart, and he claims that William is innocent and he wants to see the evidence against him. We're going to watch this one. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Rich, our next case is huge. It covers multiple states. And now we are learning that the man accused of kidnapping a woman and then holding her in this homemade cell of his 
was actually featured on an episode of Judge Judy. So the woman, the victim here, was kidnapped from Seattle, driven to Klamath Falls, Oregon, and then the suspect was arrested in Reno, Nevada with his significant other or the mother of his children. It's a little complex as to their relationship, so we're just, you know, we don't know how to describe her. So according to the FBI, this man has a lot of aliases, a lot of them. So we're, we're going to go with the, the first version of his name, the one that the FBI is using in these charges, and that's 29-year-old Nagasi or Sakima Zuberi. So he himself is now sitting in a small jail cell charged with interstate kidnapping. Police say that on July 15th, he allegedly posed as a police officer in Seattle when he approached a woman in a red light district. He allegedly solicited sex, showed her a fake badge, woman gets into the vehicle police say according to what she told them that the minute she got into his vehicle he brought out a stun gun and forced her to comply at this point and forced her into the back seat he put handcuffs on her and leg chains police say that he drove the woman over 450 miles seven hours back to his home in klamath falls where he placed the woman in this makeshift cell that he built and the fbi has released photos of this and during the drive the victim says that he sexually assaulted her and then at some point he pulled over at a truck stop and put a sweatshirt over her i guess so she wouldn't know where she was going or to hide her it's absolutely unclear but when you look at the photos of this it, it is perplexing because the fbi says that the cell that she was kept in was cinder block on one side, kind of like, it looks like drywall on the other, had a bare light, um, it had a fan, uh, chains, a metal door, and that this thing, you know, I would call it a dungeon, but it's really not, was in the garage. Was in the garage. <laughs> um, so Rich, we are going to get into the details of this, but what is really undoing me here first of all this is like every every person's nightmare the this fear of being abducted and never being found again you know people really do disappear and get abducted i mean most don't but those who do it's like the it's horrible i mean these this really does happen to people um and unfortunately um women in the sex trade are a prime target uh, for that that type of behavior, unfortunately, right, uh, right, yeah, I, yeah. I I uh, don't like the stereotype, but the, <laughs> the first thing I thought of when I read the story was one word. It was millennial. He's twenty nine years old. He's a millennial, and it's along the lines of millennial thinking in in my mind. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I would say maybe he wasn't really thinking here. He really like at was all. not thinking here at, at, at any point. At any point. At any point. Now, um, he's he's twenty nine, acting imposing himself as a police officer. He's transporting a woman across state. Like this is something. It's like a video game. Yes, he's like playing a video game in his mind in real life. Oh I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, you're not interrupting at all. You're not at all. I, I mean, what perplexes me about this is, first of all, how did you think you were going to get away with this? And sadly, some abductors really are able to hold people for days, weeks, months, even years. We've seen it. It's unbelievable, but true. But what you're, what is undoing me in the figuring out of this case that we're going to get to is that the his significant other, who is the mother of his children, she told a television station that she was actually home sleeping that night with the kids. So hold on a second. Honey, I'm going to be out in the garage. Okay. <laughs> there is a woman chained in the garage and like nobody hears anything. And apparently there's even a tenant in this house and that the, the significant other, you know, the, I don't know what to call her, the mother of his children not only does she say that she fell asleep that night and was with the kids and she remembers him coming home, didn't hear anything, wakes up the next morning, still doesn't hear anything. There's supposedly someone else who's like subleasing a room in the same house and yet that person doesn't hear anything, but there is a woman chained in the garage. I, I mean, because she got out. She got out. 
had this woman not gotten out, God only knows what would have happened to this poor soul. Yeah, and I'll wait until you get to that point of the story. But the the best thing about this story is that woman and what she did and how she got out. So well, I'll get to that when you do. But I that ex- extremely impressed me. That that was every step of the way what she did. I was so very heartening to see she had the wherewithal to do what she did. The fight for life. I mean, she absolutely yeah. clawed herself. And it's and- like everything in survival school they would teach. She did it. Right. You I mean, just you don't stop, even though there there could be the potential consequence at some point that the person could come in and shoot you for what you're doing. But if you don't try, I mean, you're not no one's going to like open the garage door and say, OK, done here. No, that's but not you happening. Talk, you talk about logic in that last case and, and her, logic for her was like, all right, this is a point where when he's done with me, he's going to kill me. If I, I don't get out of here now, I'm going to die. That was the that was the rocky moment that the bell rang and then she did what she did. So this is unbelievable. Again, this is her version of events. She tells the FBI that Nagasi told her he had to go do paperwork. Okay. <laughs> like she gives a flying F about where he's going and what he has to do when she's freaking chained to a wall, you know? Yeah. So, um, right. God forbid that your paperwork should get in the way of the woman chained in the dungeon. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Maybe that's the millennial part of this. (laughs) So according to the victim, she fell asleep briefly. She must have been so exhausted. And that when she woke up, she realized if she didn't make a decision at that point, Rich, that would be the end of it. She had to get out. So she told investigators that she repeatedly banged on the door, that her hands were so bloody from trying to bang and scratch. And somehow she was able to break free. She had the will to live. She had the will to live. And she was going to do whatever it took to get out of that situation. They teach that. You, you, any of the, you look at the Navy SEAL podcast, uh, you know, the, the, the Army Green Beret or Ranger Survival uh, podcast, all of the steps that she did here. But the first thing was the mindset. I'm going to die. If I don't do something now, I'm going to die. And then what she when she said about Donald was first thing was try to get out of the area she was in, and obviously that wasn't working for her banging on the door. But she didn't stop. She's hurting. She's bleeding. But she's going to keep going until apparently she saw something where if enough enough force was applied to whatever the area was she was banging on that she maybe break through. Uh, it kept her going, and, and the fact that she kept going uh, it had. in in my mind, is that will to survive. So she gets through, somehow breaks through this metal door, and then remember now, she's in the garage. When she comes out of this cell, she's still in the garage. And she remembers when she was abducted that seeing a gun in the back of the car when she was first abducted, which of course (laughs) frightened her. So what does she do? (laughs) The car's in the garage, and she grabs the gun, right? She's no dummy. I'm telling you, this is the Matrix, Tom Cruise, uh, the Bourne legacy, all in one. That is that is unbelievable. That was great. Tremendous on her yes. part. And, and she gets out of the garage and then she climbs over a fence and she's like so bloody <laughs> that there's like there's blood in the cell. There's blood on how she got out. There's blood on the fence that she managed to scale. And then she flags down a motorist who calls 911, thank God. And so... She leads authorities back to the house where she says that she was held. Authorities say that they saw blood on the fence. So that kind of lined up with her story about where she climbed and the blood's already there. She gave a physical description of Nagasi. And so then when police look and talk to neighbors, he is he, her description of him fits what neighbors say is the man who lives there. Right. Then they start going through the databases to figure out who's renting, who's living there, all that stuff. Up pops Nagasi. So the next day, back to your to your point, Rich, about search warrants, they wait until the next day to go back with the search warrant. So they go in and that's when they find the cell. Okay, so the cell completely confirms what the woman has just said. And even if police are like, well, what if this is like a sex game that went wrong? Right. What if the what if the accused is going to say, well, hey, wait a minute, we all agreed to this party, you know, 
so that's why police are like, okay, we got to keep going here with this investigation. This is all very upsetting. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this woman has that sense of empowerment about her. And I, I thought back and she's a sex worker. And I think that her self-training of how to keep herself survive and keep herself alive, turning tricks, you know, with all these different creepy people that she has to get with to make money uh, over time. I don't know how long she's been doing it. She's learned that's that will to survive and, and uh, that sense of empowerment to get out of that situation. She, she's either been in something like that before or she's thought a lot about it and, and ways to overcome it. And, and I, unfortunately or unfortunately, uh, you know, I think that's how how she got that sense of training. And, and fortunately, it helped her get out of this situation. Oh, absolutely. So police say that they found these troubling notes that they believe were written by Nagasi. One of them is titled Operation Takeover. And it reads, quote, leave phone at home. Okay, well, you could learn that from this podcast. Uh, make sure you don't have a bunch of people they don't have a bunch of people in their life, meaning choose someone who is either isolated, alone, a runaway, maybe a sex worker, you know, a drug addict, someone who is struggling on their own because it makes them a much more vulnerable target and no one will be looking for them. And then he finishes his little note, quote, you don't want any type of investigation. Genius. Genius. Millennial. Millennial. <laughs> who... If you're an abductor or going to plan to be an abductor, writes crib notes on how to abduct. Who does that? Oh, we've seen those before in some of these cases. We've seen the to-do notes. The to I love those. The, the and they to -do didn't work. List. That didn't work out for. No, no, no. It's just, it's amazing. So then law enforcement obtained the cell phone data, which allegedly supports that the cell phones were traveling, meaning his and hers were traveling together from Seattle to Klamath Falls, which means Bozo over here did not pay attention to number one on his list, <laughs> leave phone at home. <laughs> Why write a list if you're not going to follow the damn thing? <laughs> I, I he mean, really. follow his own instructions. <clears throat> no, that's right. Clearly a man who doesn't follow instructions. Yeah. So let's get back to how they got this guy. So the Nevada State um, Police end up arresting him because now the cops are looking for him and he's in a parking lot at a Walmart in Reno, Nevada. And according to the complaint, Nagasi is in his vehicle holding one of his children in the front seat. The mother of the children, this ex, is standing outside the car talking to him. So when he's confronted by police officers, he refuses to exit the car, and then he starts to cut himself with a sharp object. Everyone's freaking out because the baby's on the lap, and obviously he's going to use that baby as leverage to get the cops to leave him alone because I will harm this. This man is not thinking straight. So then he's bleeding all over the place. On top of everything, he's bleeding and holding on to this child. Eventually, the man agrees to exit the car. He's taken into custody. The child was unharmed. And the mother ends up saying that she takes the children home on a bus. I don't know how, like, you pull yourself together after witnessing <laughs> something like this. Um, well, <sighs> I, we realize he is innocent until proven guilty. He's charged now. But you would say, what kind of man might do something like this? So can we please now go to Judge Judy? Because here's what's interesting. It gives us some insight into this man. You can hear this man talking in his own words. And he was on the Judge Judy show in 2018 under one of his many, many aliases. And this alias lines up with one of the FBI aliases. He went by the name of Justin Hyeth. Okay. So he goes to Judge Judy and says, uh, the mother of my children... Okay, we have no idea if the woman on Judge Judy is the same woman that he's still living with because that woman has not been identified. And when she did the interview with the television station, they only showed her hands and you could hear her, but you couldn't see her. We have no idea if they're the same person. I'm not even going to speculate on this. You know, it's probable, but I have no idea. Okay, so let's get back to Judge Judy. So he claims that his ex, Alicia Westfall, who is the mother of his children, 
had attacked him and they were in the middle of a custody dispute and she had come to his residence and she apparently like threw a bottle at him and that he she damaged his work suits uh, with bleach and that he wanted money back and um then alicia is counter was countersuing him saying that nagasi had smashed her phone and then filed a fake uh restraining order against her the amazing thing here rich is that judge judy found in this man's favor <laughs> and and awarded him the $2,500 that the ex had to pay him the $2,500. And now looking back at this insanity, if this is the same couple, I have no idea. I was like, this man, this man. Uh, a couple things, Anna. First of all, I'm not airing my personal business on Judge Judy, Judge whomever. Um, the fact that somebody wants to do that or needs to do that, uh, is beside me. It's it's someone that doesn't have a lot going on in their life. Um, I, I well, just, you know what? If it's like a dispute over money, a loan got bad, or something like that, I don't really mind it. When it involves children and personal family matters like this, honestly, even though it was an assault case and a damages case, I don't like exposing children to anything like this on a TV show. Look, you want to go on The Bachelor, you want to go and talk about whatever, or you're Judge Judy and talk about, like, he owes me $500 and the vacuum <laughs> doesn't work. I don't care about that. That's fine. But this, yeah. when you bring in the kids, no. That's where I draw the line. Well, I'm thinking that he needed money and uh, was willing to do the show uh, and air his personal business involving children or not uh, so that he could make some money to pay bills or whatever. Um, the second thing is the violence, uh, you know, they were looking at him and possibly being involved in other sexual assaults, uh, some violent sexual assaults. And, and, uh, I don't know if he said in the beginning or not, but he lived in 10 States over 10 years. Uh, he, uh, I'm, I'm going to say may have been molested himself when he was younger and he may have had some physical abuse, uh, against him as well um to have to have to have that in his life uh you know that's not something you just wake up one day and say you're going to do it's a it's a pattern of repeated behavior with the violent sexual assaults and to pose as a police officer and i'm just going to grab a prostitute and drive her 450 miles home and i'm going to keep her in my garage any of that i mean like that's just not you know you're not the btk killer like and you know i don't think that he would have done something as stupid as that uh it just um he, he's in before he did any of this i think he was traumatized at a young age unfortunately and, that, and that's the life that he knows and this is this is the product of that well there's clearly something wrong with this man without question so i want to now play the clip from Fox 12 Oregon. This is the interview that was done with his, with the mother of his children, the woman who says that she was home alone. I mean, she was home with the children sleeping and <clears throat> remembers him coming home and she woke up that next morning. Now, this part of her story makes zero sense because these two things could not have happened concurrently. You cannot have a woman chained in a cell, uh, banging the doors, metal doors, screaming for her life to get out, and to be home feeding the kids breakfast and say, oh, I didn't hear anything. I mean, those two things cannot happen in this one home. It's right. Just, right. So someone here is not fully telling the story here. So that part about this interview really bugs me. But those are her words and how she explains it. Okay. So now I, I want you to hear what she's saying. She says, that was never a sell. It was nothing like that at all. She says that he was building a room to sublet. <laughs> and that was the purpose of this little room in the garage. Okay. Yeah, he's going to sublet his prostitutes. Oh, all right. Let's play the clip here. This is from Fox 12. He's, he's a good person. That's what I know. He helped my kids. He helped me when I... When I need help, he even helped me apply for school. He helped me apply for FASA. He helped me get to my feet. Even we didn't get along, but he I was helping me. 
it is sad that he's been accused because that's not who he is. That's not who I, I had kids with. This is not what the guy that they, they portray him to be. This is not his legacy. This man have dream. Legacy, that would really <laughs> not be my number one concern at this point. Is his legacy is legacy. over. Okay, hello, hello. This is, there, <clears throat> there are other more pressing issues right now <laughs> than his legacy. So I don't know what is going on there. I don't know... I really don't. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here, but that's her story. And she then says that she's the one that he called her and said, meet me in Reno. She was the one she said on this interview that she was the one in Reno at the Walmart and that he had shared with her that he was going to go to Alabama until, quote, this blew over. <laughs> oh, really? I yeah. didn't know if we all went to Alabama, everything will be better <laughs> tomorrow. Till it blows over. Till it blows over. Yeah. Okay, so as you said, the FBI says that he's lived in 10 different states over the last 10 years, and they believe that he may be linked to several violent assaults in at least four states, and that they believe he has an MO. This is the MO, and it's very important you all look at his, at his photos and listen to this, because there could be other victims out there, and at the end of the day, what this is really about is justice. No matter what an idiot this man has been covering up his tracks or thinking what he was going to do, the issue here is about the victim we know about and the more victims that could be out there. So police say that he, um, he when, when he targets people, he may be impersonating an officer, he may be drugging their drinks, he may be specifically targeting sex workers and then violently assaulting them. Um, they believe he may have videotaped some of these encounters. Okay. So he, they believe that maybe he videotaped it to threaten them if they went to the police as a form of extortion. Think about that if you know anyone that's been exposed to this guy and that they believe that Nagasi again, has several aliases. So including Sakima Zuberi, Justin Heitch, and Justin Kusei, multiple aliases. So he's being held in the Washaw County Jail in Reno, awaiting extradition. He could face life in prison if convicted on the interstate kidnapping case. So the FBI is asking all of you, if you know anything about this guy and any potential victims, to please reach out on their website. It's very important if there are other victims out there to get justice for them. Now, We've been talking about kidnapping here, and I know we're going to talk about the case of my Mark Heimbaugh in a little bit, but um, as some of you know, I've been working on a Lifetime series called Beyond the Headlines, which looks at some horrific cases, and this Saturday's episode, which is going to air on August 11th, is, is the episode called Surviving Abduction, and it's an amazing episode. I just saw a preview of it, and these are several women who were all abducted most of them by strangers, some of them by either neighbors or former students, all different forms of horrific abductions and how they were held and how they managed to get out, how they were released. The stories are incredible. And I want to share a clip with you because this falls right in line with the conversation we're having here about this kidnapper, alleged kidnapper we just talked about. This is the case you may know it of Abby Hernandez. She was 15 years old in 2013 and she's walking along the side of the road. The most innocent thing is like she had bought a new pair of boots and they were bugging her, you know, and she was trying to, you know, wear them in we all know what that feels like and someone pulls up next to her and so this is and she ends up being held for nine months wow. nine months so um here's a clip of her describing that moment that he pulled up and when she knew that things were going to go bad real fast and he pulled over the door just opened right in front of me and he was holding it open and he says, need a ride? I just thought, you know, he's your average Joe or whatever. And that's the wrong mentality to have. He said, where are you headed? And I said, a sandwich shop near my home. I don't want grown men knowing where I live. I guess I was smart enough to know that. He looked very serious, no expression. He said, do you mind if I stop by up here real quick? So I was like, this is kind of weird, but yeah, that, yeah, that's okay. And he parked so far away, and the car was facing away from the store. I immediately got kind of, oh no, 
something's happening, like he, he's planning something. I reach for the door and then I feel this heavy object on my leg and I realize it's a gun. And he said, now I can blow your brains out or I can slit your throat right open. If you should try to do anything to escape, I will kill you. Abby's story, Rich, is so frightening, but sadly, like so many others, not very different from the woman who was abducted in Seattle that we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk to you now about Mark Heimbaugh, because this case, which you've been working on for more than 30 years, you know, this is a little boy, 11 years old, who went out to take a look at a fire in South Jersey, and he never came home and was initially treated as a runaway. And because of that, I we all believe that a lot of things were missed. And now the belief is, many decades later, that he was actually abducted. It was a different time. It was a different place. You were on the scene before I was. I was a patrolman. Uh, I believe that midnight, I was one of two officers over, overnight. We stood parked outside of Maureen's house in case Mark came home. But uh, that week, we collectively in law enforcement believe that Mark may have ran away Um or got caught in a water hazard of some type, some natural natural disaster type thing, um, for for a good week when some things not possibly, but were definitely missed. Um, one of the first things was the sneaker found on the beach, and uh, as you know, you have a good friend at Altham Labs that has offered to do some degraded DNA work on the, on the sneaker. It was handled so many times a week for like a week. At one point, uh, one uh, officer is being interviewed by the news channel in his office and he picks up the sneaker and shows her the sand that's still. I, I have video, you know, I found the old historic video from WPVI back in Philadelphia when I was a very young reporter. Um, but a very um, good this, one at that. <laughs> well, no, I just, and I've said this many times when I'm talking about my youth, I, I just wish I'd been more experienced as a reporter and had known to ask more and different questions at that time because I accepted what they said was that they thought he had run away. And that wasn't the case. He didn't run away. This child was abducted. But that sneaker, Rich, so that we have the video of it where literally the cop is holding the sneaker, right? It's not bagged, nothing, and drops it on the floor to make video for the news, for the TV news report that day. And that, no one that, would ever do this now. That, that tells me and, and who's watching, whoever's watching, that this is these are people who don't have experience in handling these type of cases. Uh, and I'm not any better. I, you know, I'm 32 years later looking at this and I'm not criticizing any officer, but that's how much it went over our heads in law enforcement, so to speak. Uh, we're looking at the physical. We're going to the scene. Uh, we last saw him over here. Uh, you know, they was at the park and we're looking at the physical and not the information contained within what Maureen was telling the initial arriving officers about family life, about Mark, about what was going on leading up to his disappearance. And they were the critical points. And, you know, today, again, I'm not, I don't want to criticize other officers because I would have done the same thing that they did at that time of my career. But today, what I would tell you is I would have one group of law enforcement going after that search and rescue. And the second group of experienced detectives following every piece of information and with the message to the searchers if you find anything anything i don't care if it's a strain of hair do not touch it freeze don't go anywhere call us on the radio we will come there we'll photograph the scene that's the first thing that has to happen because we're you know we're going by officer memory on how many steps uh barefoot sneaker print barefoot and then how long that goes before we lose it in the sand it wasn't even photographed was it not at all not at all but can you believe the this the sneaker is found near his home on the sand there are descriptions the officers describe <laughs> the footprints going to and from and nobody photographed it from the police department didn't photograph I it didn't handle it with latex gloves uh one fireman uh who's a good friend of mine said we found the sneaker and we thought we we're going to go a few more steps 
and find Mark. They were, it was a search and rescue. It was an all out. We got to hurry up until we find this boy at nine 15 at night. It was too late at four o'clock. He was being abducted. Yeah. So park. you did, you, you participated, you were interviewed for People Magazine Investigates, which is a great series on ID. And they focused on this case because you've written a book on this case. You've never yes, given up investigating this case. How did you, this recently aired the, the People Magazine Investigates, what happened to Mark Heimbaugh. Have you gotten any new leads or any new calls as a result of doing this show? Um, thank you for bringing the book up and and the, and the show. It's generated a lot of interest with with people within Cape May County uh, who who may be children of the people that were involved or uh, uh, people that were residents in the area at the time. And it's really uh, generated a lot of interest in now turning and trying to find Mark. Here's a clip from People Magazine Investigates. Around 3.50 p.m., Maureen returns home to discover Mark isn't there. Well, I didn't think anything of it at first. I thought, you know, he's still checking out the fire. Well, like a half hour went by and I was getting worried. I went around the neighborhood to a couple friends' houses looking for him. And he wasn't there. He wasn't anywhere. I think it's a mother's intuition that something comes over you, and I started getting anxiety. It's cold, and it started to get dark, and Mark would have come home. Matthew tried to call her dad, Jody, and he said, oh, he's just out playing. Matthew called him back again, and he said, Dad, this is serious. And I think I called my sister. I said, I don't know what to do. She said, Reen, I would call the police. So my hope, Rich, which I guess is yours and why you did this program, why you wrote the book, is because somebody out there knows something, right? And they got to step forward. It's my belief uh, that I, I, I use the numbers. One to six people know what happened. And they know what happened because they were either, either a part of it or the people involved told them. You know, somebody has direct information about what actually happened to Mark. A lot of us live in the area and, and knew Mark or knew the area. They may have ideas. Uh, all those are important things to, to know and hear. But what, what we really want to do is bring closure in this case and tell us exactly where Mark is, who took him, you know, specific information related to Mark's disappearance. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm always here and support you in this effort. So please, anyone, if anyone knows anything, you can contact Rich directly. We will give you information at the end of the program. You can contact the police, whatever you need to do. Please, please, please. Prior to Chris Lucener retiring as our chief of police, which just happened uh, a few weeks ago, he sought out uh, the people in uh, the state of Washington, I can't think of the company's name, Artificial Intelligence. So he, he was able to convince our township, Middle Township, to spend the money on this program. And uh, what, what they're doing now is uploading all of the police files into an AI program. And at that point, we're going to be able to use AI, the investigators, uh, to help them further investigate the case. And and they were saying, uh, the chief told me it was going to take about three months for, to, to, for that to happen where we physically get all the information into the program. And once that's done, it'll be up and running. And um, hopefully, I don't think you're going to press a button and say, where is Mark Heimball? It's going to spit out. I don't think it's going to be that simple. But I think what AI is going to be able to do is draw from the thousands of reports and tell us how many red cars were in, you know, were involved. Uh, it, how many red cars are listed in this case? How many white males at the age of 26 to 30? It'll be able to do that within a split second. And if a good investigator or an investigative team is on the right track, it may help them further and get us closer to the answer in this case. Absolutely. You can catch the documentary on investigation discovery and streaming on Max. It's time for our comments section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on social media. Here's our producer, Will Updike. Hey, Will. Hey, Anna. How's it going? Good. What's happening, Will? 
Hey, Rich. Good to see you. So this week we have uh, (laughs) we got a case of an unwanted visitor coming down the chimney. This case comes out of Phoenix, Arizona, where a man was hospitalized after getting stuck in a chimney while allegedly trying to enter the home of someone who has a court order against him. A lot of (laughs) ins and outs here. So uh, this case, uh, according to to media outlets uh, on Friday, July 28th, around 1 a.m., so early hours of the morning, the Phoenix police and the fire departments went to a house because our suspect here, Irvin Gonzalez, attempted to enter the residence via the roof. The family who lives in the house reportedly said they knew Gonzalez. They contact the the police. And here's the thing. It took responders over two hours to get this guy out of the chimney. Uh, And the Phoenix fire captain talked a little bit with media outlets. He said that, you know, during this whole time, they were able to monitor him, monitor the atmosphere around him, and they were able to have contact with him at all times, try to speak to him. They even provided water for him. They really have to do a lot through these two hours, which is such a bizarre situation when you know that it's, uh, well, allegedly, you know, like in the commission of what could be a a, a crime here. Uh, And a police spokesperson uh, said that the suspect was not technically allowed to be in this residence, obviously via the court order. But what Um, about the chimney? Is that in the residence or not? Just a question. Go on. That That is a great question. Yeah, Uh, he's on on the property. And and to me, he's in he's in the residence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, so they, they were finally able to retrieve um, the suspect here uh, from the chimney using a harness and a rope. Apparently, though, firefighters had to break a wall from the inside to end up getting uh, the suspect out here. And the fire captain uh, noted very helpfully, chimney flues are relatively small and not capable of having a human go in and out of them. Sorry. Uh, oh my I, I gosh, hope. children! I was going to say your ears. Ch- children, this is not cover true. Your ears. If, I, I should have given a disclaimer if you have any Jeez. children in the car while you're listening to this. No. Um, that, <laughs> There's one exception to this rule. We'll just say that. Uh, So the suspect here was transported to a local hospital in stable condition. Once he is discharged, he will reportedly be transported to jail and booked on multiple counts. Um, One real obvious place to go uh, with this story. Uh, You know, one uh, one other uh, person comes to mind. However, I want to highlight a comment from Allison R. who who took this in a completely different direction. They said he was channeling his best Dick Van Dyke for his role in the new Mary Poppins reboot, which I loved. I hadn't thought of that um at like absolutely great great work allison um obviously santa uh big big one here um (laughs) uh dusty crime said i wasn't robbing you i was delivering presents in august which it was i mean technically july but (laughs) i posted the story in august you know good enough i kind of thought that uh that would be an interesting defense case uh if you were the attorney willing to take this on is the santa practice defense seems like I mean, there could be something there. I don't know. Irene said, bro thought he was the Grinch. And uh, Don E had my one of my favorite comments. They said his he, <laughs> he was too fat to slide down the chimney and ho, ho, ho became po, po, po. He was caught red handed. You know, we love a good pun on this show. <laughs> um, just as a, just as an aside note, uh, a couple of people were saying, uh, including Unknown X, said uh, the homeowner is getting sued. I don't know that they're in any jeopardy there. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know that much about civil litigation, but uh, that was not where my mind immediately went when I when I read this case. Well, I hope he pays back the fire department for all those bottles of water and their time and all this stupidity that he has caused. And since they had to break down a wall, I hope that, you know, they get reimbursed for that, though. Something tells me good luck trying to get money out of this guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. Does insurance cover that? I'm, I don't really know how that works. Oh, I don't know. Oof, weird one. Uh, weird. Well, I, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't fit in a chimney, so I'm not, I wouldn't even think of doing something like that. But if I could or think I could, uh, I would at least throw on some something that look like santa claus so i could go with that excuse yeah pl- I, I feel like there's a, a little red bit more, shirt something. yeah there's there's a little bit more plausible deniability there i just <laughs> also i i feel like there had to have been an easier way to do this but you know what 
just charged here. Uh, we, you know, we, we don't know what'll happen with this case, but I will keep people updated if we hear any more on it. That'll do it for this week's comment section. Thank you so much for everybody who left those. You can do that over on our community page on YouTube. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere you check us out, uh, anywhere you check out social media, you can check us out there. Uh, thank you so much. And I'll see you all next week. Great job. Will. Thank you. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's been great to have you on, and I hope you uh, continue to be a regular because I just just love your cop speak. You're such a regular guy from South Jersey. It's like, you know... (laughs) It's it's uh, you know you're giving me all the accolades. It's an honor to be on your show, and I, I'm I'm honored that you would even ask me to do so. Oh, I love and, working and with you. you. You you have been on the highball case literally from day one, and uh, you know you should be commended for that. Oh my goodness! All right, where can people find you either on social media or if they've got a tip on the Mark Heimball disappearance? Uh, Amazon.com is uh, where is Mark. And uh, just type in where is where is Mark, and um, that is I'm on. Uh, for right now, that's the best place. And you, there's a comment section if someone wants to send me a message, they can do that there. Um, but, Terrific. Yeah, where is yes. Mark? Easy yes. enough. Easy enough. You can find me at Anna Jean News on all social media. That's Anna with one N. You can find this episode and all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can get our newsletter by subscribing at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. (laughs) 